Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. We're in the very last two verses of 1 Peter tonight. And when I was deciding how I was going to break up the text... I, I, I was debating about whether or not I should tack it on to the end of last week's sermon and just kind of have it as an afterthought, but, or to preach it on its own. And you know what I decided. I, I'm preaching it on its own. And, and I, I think there's two reasons why we're going to look at it by itself. One is I think it kind of gives a summary of what the entire book is about. In one verse... In one statement, it gives a summary of what the entire book is about. And also, it, I, I think within just these final greetings, we see something demonstrated about um, the care that Peter had um, for these believers he was writing to, and also the kind of care that we ought to have for one another as believers. So let's go ahead and look at our text. Peter was writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he wrote, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Bring us comfort. Help us to know how much you love us. Help us to know that we're not alone as we tread through this journey in a foreign land. Father, I pray that you give me grace and strength as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter wrote this letter, right? Peter wrote this letter. That's what we've been saying all along. That's what the very first chapter says in the very beginning. says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean as we open up these last couple of verses and it says, by Silvanus? a faithful brother. There's two different options here. Some throughout the history of the church have thought that uh, whenever he says by Silvanus, that Silvanus or Silas, you may be more familiar with that rendering of the name, Silas was very likely the same Silas who was traveling with Paul on his second missionary journey. Um, And Silas... um, Many have thought that maybe he was uh, someone who transcribed it for Peter, like Peter dictated it, and that, that um, Silas or Silvanus had uh, written it down for him. And that's a possibility. Um, another possibility, which I, I kind of lean towards, is the idea that it, whatever Peter was saying, by Silas, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written to you, he's, he's, uh, he's saying, I'm sending this letter to you through Silas. 
And he's commending Silas so that whenever the church receives it, that original church who was receiving it the very first time, they recognized uh, that Silas who they were getting it from, his very hands, was, was trustworthy and that he was actually delivering the words that Peter wanted them to have. Make sense? So, Silas, this one who had been with Paul, probably had been with Paul on his, first, on his second missionary journey, uh, was probably delivering this. And, and uh, it says that he regarded Silas as a faithful brother. He, he, was, he was trustworthy. He was reliable. And Silas brought this letter to these churches that were suffering in the midst of Asia Minor. And it, it tells us, I, that's Peter, I have written to you briefly couple of things here. First of all, again, he's claiming authorship. By Silas, I have written to you. So Peter, Peter's the one saying I, I have written to you briefly. Okay? And when we think of Romans, which is 16 chapters long, Paul's, uh, the longest letter of the New Testament, except maybe Hebrews, the longest of the, of the letters of the, of the New Testament, uh, and Peter's, who's only five chapters long, uh, it is kind of brief, isn't it? In comparison to what we have from Paul. Uh, it is kind of brief and short. And, and it's kind of a summary of uh, what, to, what believers needed to know. And he says, I've written to you briefly, and he's doing two things as he's writing to believers, as he's writing to these churches in Asia Minor, and he's writing for us. He's exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Now, what has 1 Peter been about all the way through the book? Um, most of you here, except for my family, weren't with us the entire way through the book. Um, but one of the th- the points that I've tried to make all along is there's a division here uh, that you see in the other letters as well, where you have this is what God has done for uh, has done through Jesus for us. This is what God has done in Jesus for us. That's the true grace of God. This is what God has done, and He's exhorting that is because of what Christ has done. This is how we're to live. So the exhortation are the commands. The exhortation is when he's telling us things like, be holy as I am holy. The the exhortation are the things when he's telling us, love one another fervently from the heart. The exhortations are the things that tell us, be submissive to every authority and every human institution. The, the, The exhortation is how he's telling us how we are to live in the midst of this hostile world. How... Wives are to submit to husbands, and how husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way. Uh, how how uh, um, um, all of the commands that we have are, are the exhortations that he's talking about. And he's declaring this is the true grace of God. There's a few places we can look at to see where, where uh, Peter is, is declaring this is the true grace of God. We can look at the very first chapter. In the very first chapter, remember, Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what he was declaring the true grace of God. He's declaring, we've been born again. 
God has, has caused us to be born again because He raised His Son Jesus from the dead. Jesus came, He lived a sinless human life, He died on the cross, and He rose again. And that means that we have been born again, that we have a hope that's eternal forever, will never fade away, and we have, are being helped held by God's hand. That's, those are the things we see where Peter is declaring this is the true grace of God. That's where Peter is preaching the Gospel to us. We also see it um, whenever we come to 1 Peter 3 in verse, verse 18. He says, For Christ also suffered for once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. In one sentence, that's the Gospel. Christ, the innocent one, the one who was righteous, died. He suffered for our sins. He suffered for our sins. That's a substitution. He, he, he was a sacrifice where He gave Himself, he gave himself as, to die in our place. He took the punishment that we deserved. And, and He was righteous for the unrighteous. That's substitutionary atonement there. He, uh, that He might bring us to God. He reconciled us to God. He brought us peace with God. No longer are we His enemies. No longer are we in darkness. But we are now His sons and daughters because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. That's the Gospel. And that's what Peter is saying when, when he says, I have declared to you the true grace of God. That's what he's pointing to. And whenever he is, he's talking about uh, exhorting you, he's talking about all the, the commands that he's giving. Those are the two things he was doing throughout all of this book. He's exhorting us, this is how we ought to live because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. This is the true grace of God. So back to the verses. I've written to you briefly, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And why does he tell us to stand firm in it? Well, because... There's a lot of counterfeits out, counterfeits out there. There's a lot of counterfeits out there. There's a lot of things that will try to lead us away from the true grace of God. From, from the true Gospel. Mike was over at our house this week and we watched a video about it. And there's really a couple of different options you can go. There's one way that leads us away from the true Gospel in what's called legalism. Legalism is not what our movie was about we were watching, although I think they're related. Legalism says, you've got to do this and do this and do this so that God will accept you. And if you just can't live up, then God won't accept you. That's not the Gospel. The Gospel is we can't do anything at all to save ourselves. We are broken, we are lost without Him, and God Himself had to step out of heaven and come and become a man and die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. That is the true Gospel. And it's about believing what He did. Trusting that Jesus paid it all. Right? That's the true Gospel. Um, We've got to stand firm in that. We do not give in to any kind of a works righteousness scheme. We are not saved by our good works. 
we are saved by believing in Jesus. And then we have good works as fruit that stem from the fact of the inward change that he's taken, that's taken place within us. We stand firm in the true grace also because we don't, want, we don't want to fall on one side into legalism and we don't want to fall on the other side into what might be called liberalism or libertinism to say, well, just God loves everybody and we, not, we don't want to talk about anything like sin and I think... What liberal theology leads to is just another form of legalism. Because what you have is, well, we really can't believe in supernatural anymore because we're modern people. We know that, you know, virgins don't have babies. That's, that's what we'll, I mean, that's what modern people, we understand science, right? We're all enlightened. <sighs> right? And, and, Oh, I mean, the, the idea of, of, of a father who's putting his son on the cross, that smacks of, of divine child abuse. That's, that's what liberals will say. And that's a departure from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a departure. That, and so why are we told, why does Peter tell us, stand firm in it? Because there will be many temptations to, to depart from the true, true gospel. Peter tells us, stand firm in it. That's verse 12. Now we're looking at verse 13. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark my son. He's just greeting them, right? He's just greeting them. She who is at Babylon. Now, it's not just a greeting. One, whenever he's saying she who is at Babylon, what are we talking about? Who are we talking about? I don't think he's talking about a person. He's talking about the church. The church that is in Babylon. And I think, uh, and be, the reason why I say that is um, the word, uh, you know, in English, we don't have genders for our words, right? We, 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 except for maybe man and woman, you know. But we don't have, we don't have, our language is not gendered. But in a lot of languages, like Spanish, like French, uh, and, and Greek and Hebrew were the same way, their words had a gender to them. So you had masculine and feminine words. And the word for church, ecclesia, is a feminine word. And so, um, whenever it says, she who is in, in uh, um, Babylon, I think it's talking about the church there. Just based on, 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 I think, the grammar there. But uh, he didn't use the word church, but it, 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 who else would it be? He's not talking about himself. It, it's, it's talking about the church, I believe. So the whole church who's there in what's called Babylon. Now, also in Revelation, we have a reference to Babylon. And I think in both cases, we're seeing some, uh, a, 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 a word that is uh, a term that is being symbolically used. Babylon had always been the force and the power that had been against God's people in the Old Testament. You go all the way back to Babel, at the Tower of Babel, and, and, and how, how the destruction that had taken place there, but then you've got Babylon that had come in and, 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 uh, uh, and, and um, taken off uh, Israel or, or Judah actually into captivity, 
And so Babylon was seen as the dominant cultural power against God's people. In the time that this was written, it was no longer Babylon, but it was Rome. And so I I believe here that we're we're talking about the, the church that was in Rome. They cared about their brothers and sisters that were off distant places. Right? They cared about... That. So they're sending their greetings because even though these people may not have ever met each other, the church in Rome, the churches over here in Asia Minor, they may have never met each other, but they recognized, hey, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And they sent their greetings. Which makes me a great time to talk about foreign missions. This is December. <laughs> and anybody that's a Southern Baptist knows that in December... We take up a Christmas offering for Lottie Moon. Anybody wondering when Lottie Moon's going to get paid off? <laughs> Lottie Moon was a missionary in the 1800s. And she, she was, a, she was a, a, an amazing figure. She was a missionary, a faithful missionary in China for years and years and years. She spent 14 years on the field before she took her first sabbatical to come home. And um, anyway... Southern Baptists have a, I'm kind of taking a rabbit trail here, but Southern Baptists have a missionary offering every uh, Christmas time to give to foreign missions in honor of Lottie Moon. Um, So um, I forgot to say something about that during the announcements too, but the fact is these believers, this church in Rome cared about believers that were their brothers and sisters, though they'd never met them, okay? And I think there's actually a textual connection. We want to care about our brothers and sisters throughout the world, whether or not that that we ever even get to meet them or not. We have brothers and sisters in China, a place that's persecuted, a place where the government actually opposes Christ and wants to tear down churches and wants to jail Christians. Okay, And other places throughout the world. And one way that we can demonstrate the same kind of care for our brothers and sisters around the world is give to Lottie Moon. <laughs> That's my plug for the Lottie Moon offering. Okay. <laughs> so, she who is at Babylon, likewise chosen. Uh, again, that's the same term that, that Peter used for the, church, the churches that he was sending. He, he called them the elect strangers, the elect a, uh, aliens who were scattered throughout all those different places. And in the same word, that same word elect is chosen. Uh, so it's the, the, uh, the church that was chosen the same way they were even though they never met, they were both chosen by God, sends you greeting, and so does Mark, my son. Now, who's Mark? Who's Mark? Well, tradition tells us it's the same Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark. Uh, the same John Mark, who, who, um, uh, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Um, Mark is... Uh, often been thought of as, as have, having its uh, roots from the teachings of Peter, that, uh, that Mark was someone who came along and, uh, and, and was one of Peter's disciples, and, and uh, that, that uh, um, much of what came, comes from the Gospel of Mark would have been the stories that he heard Peter tell. So, which, which makes sense that Peter would say, Mark, my son, right? And, and he has a, an affection for him, Right? Like a father to a son. That's another kind of thing we see. How are we to be known as Christians? By our love for one another. Peter has told us we are to love one another from the heart. And 
these Christians in Rome care so much that they're sending their greetings. Um, and so Mark also, uh, he, he's being treated like a son because Peter loves him like a son. And another thing about Mark, Mark had also gone with Paul on one of his missionary journeys. Mark went on the first missionary journey. Remember, Paul and Barnabas, if you know the story, Paul and Barnabas, and they brought along John Mark on that first missionary journey, and about halfway through, John Mark bails. He gives up. It gets too hard, and he goes home. So when they get back around to Jerusalem, and and it's time to shove off on the next missionary journey, they have a dispute. Paul says, I'm not having that guy with me. He bailed last time, (laughs) right? I'm not taking him with me. And you've got Barnabas saying, wait a minute, let's give him a second chance. And so Paul and Barnabas have this dispute, and you know what? God brings good out of even this dispute that they have. And, And they go their separate ways. Paul ends up taking Silas that we've just talked about, and Barnabas takes Mark. This guy who had failed in the past. This guy who who had given up when things got hard. But it's brought back around and Mark, who had been a failure, who'd given up, is now found to be useful for the gospel. Mark is called like a son to Peter. Mark um, wrote the Gospel of Mark that we have today. Even though, even the Apostle Paul thought he was a failure at one time. Didn't trust him to take him with him a second time. He turns around and writes the Gospel of Mark. I think that says a lot. So they're sending their greetings. The church as a whole, and Mark sends his greetings. And then he says this strange thing that we don't get. It's so foreign to our culture. He says, verse 14, greet one another with the kiss of love. Now, how am I going to apply that one? (laughs) Oh, man. I had Amy read from the passage where um, David and Jonathan were friends. They loved one another. And, and when Jonathan gave David this warning that, that uh, David was in danger, when the little boy went away, what they do? They came together and they kissed one another and they wept together before David left. Okay? That, in that time, was appropriate in its cultural context There was nothing wicked about that. There was nothing sinful about two men who cared about each other, who had had a... There was was no hint in the text that there's anything romantic involved. And people who try to to, uh, look at a text like that and try to say, well, David and Jonathan kissed, no. That's just trying to bring something... That's just culturally appropriate affection, physical affection. And in the time of the church, uh, in the early church, that was culturally appropriate physical affection. And you see that in some countries today. You know, you got two macho guys come up together and they're like, you know, (laughs) know, you've maybe seen it in the movies. Maybe even uh, if you've been in different parts of the world, you've seen it in real life. You know, I I don't know what you might have seen. But um, 
But that was, that was culturally appropriate physical affection at that time. And what I think that the way we should actually um, live out the command that Peter says is that we ought to greet one another with culturally appropriate forms of physical affection. Now, that doesn't mean going around kissing one another. Like I said, it's culturally appropriate. Is that culturally appropriate in our culture? No. I think there's a lot of ladies that would slap you across the face if you tried to come up and give a kiss to her, right? (laughs) Or or wives that would kiss, that would slap their husbands if we would try to do the same thing. You know, it, it would just, it would not work in our culture the way it did back then, right? Um, but what do we do today? We greet one another with a holy handshake, right? <laughs> and that's been hard through COVID where we've got people saying, you can't shake hands anymore. If you're used to hugging one another, sorry, you know, we got to protect people. That's hard. We are to love one another fervently from the heart. We're commanded here to show appropriate forms of physical affection, and yet, we live in a time of a pandemic when we fear doing that, don't we? We don't want to spread germs. We don't want to get anybody sick. And it's hard. You can feel it. I mean, that... You know, having church online is not the same. You don't get to get together and fellowship with one another and laugh and talk together. Just watching somebody on a video, it's just not the same. Because we don't get this. We don't get to be around one another and show those appropriate forms of physical touch like a handshake, like a pat on the shoulder, like a hug when needed. Peter says, greet one another with a, holy, with a, love, a kiss of love. And I say, greet one another with a holy handshake. <laughs> Alright? Or whatever appropriate and welcome form of, Christ, of Christian affection that you feel comfortable with. Finally, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now this fits perfectly because tonight's the fourth Sunday of Advent and what are we talking about? Peace, right? So, hey, we're getting Advent in there after all. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is His final greeting to this church. Peace to all of you. We live in a hostile world. That's what Peter's been talking about all along. How are we ever going to live in a hostile world where the world is against us, where they think we're crazy because what we believe about Jesus? How are we to live in this kind of a context? Peter's last words ring out the same theme. Peace to us all. We may live in a hostile world, but we can have peace. We can have peace because Jesus has caused us to be born again. Jesus has died for us. Jesus has risen again and He has promised us a life that will last forever and we will always be satisfied with Him. Peace to all of us. We were once His enemies and He has now made us His sons and daughters. Peace be to all of you who are in Christ. 
And if you are in Christ tonight, that is, if you have been born again, if you have trusted in Him, that's how I'm ending this sermon series. Peace to you. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.